Welcome to the City Point Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at citypoint.tv or our Facebook page, City Point Church. I have a dream. I have a dream. He had a dream. He had a dream. Dr. Martin Luther King had a dream. He was a man who received a call from God. He was faithful in his little local church. When things started happening in his community, he saw a need and he stepped out and filled it. He had a dream. And God took that little call that he had to be a pastor because his dad was a pastor and I believe his grandfather was a pastor and he stepped out. And as he stepped out, a hinge of history opened and led to this national platform where he called a nation to a dream. Because God wanted to bring change in our nation. And through one man's dream, through one man's call, the hinge of history swung wide and our nation was changed. Do you have a dream? Do you have a dream? God wants to speak to us about dreams, and I love this season that we're in. It is such an incredible season that we are in right now. Proverbs 29, 18. Let me pull this up here. Whoops, back up. There you go. Can you see that? Proverbs 29, 18 says, When there is no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray. But when you follow the revelation of the word, heaven's bliss fills your soul. Don't you love that interpretation, that translation? Where there is no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray. Millions of people didn't gather because he thought he might know something or he kind of thought maybe something. They came because they had a dream. They came because they wanted to see a nation changed. They came because he had the word of the Lord in his mouth. And when he spoke it, Heaven's bliss filled their soul. They were filled with hope that it didn't matter what was coming against them. They were going to see that come to pass. And we're still waiting for the complete fulfillment of that dream today. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Isn't that good? Like every day we're to be in the word, but there are those days where God takes his word and he sets it on fire and it goes into our hearts and it becomes that proceeding word out of our mouth that when we speak to those things in our life, things change. Isn't that cool when God gives you a word out of his word? Or when you're in prayer and all of a sudden he dumps something on you and you know it's his voice and you run with it? And you see things change. You see things line up. This is such a great season. God has called us to 21 days in the secret place. And this is day, I believe, 18 of those 21 days or 19. 19. This is day 19. It's getting even better. So it's so exciting because God wants to meet with us. This is a season where God wants to meet with us as people and because um, he loves us. It's a great time. So our pastor, we just sent our pastor to go seek God. Isn't that cool? Like how many churches do that and say, go pastor, run, go seek God. That's what we want. We want Pastor Mike to get a fresh word, a fresh vision, a fresh dream for our church. He's in South Carolina. He's been having a great time at a conference, I believe. Haven't heard much from him and that's a good thing. So we're just excited that he's getting filled up and God is speaking to him and gonna reveal things to him. That that's what we need. We need a clear vision 
and a personal mandate in it. I do want to note on that, we want to give him plenty of time just to be in that sacred place with God and hear from God. So if you need something here, I'm here for you. Uh, Our elder, Paul, is here. Vince is here. We want to be here. If you have a need while Pastor Mike's out, message us. Call us. Come see us. I'm here Tuesday and Thursdays. I'm happy to help you. And we want to walk with you. You're not alone just because Pastor Mike is out of town right now. So we all stand together. We're a team, and we have an amazing team of leaders. So just wanted to put that in. But it's a great time. I find myself in my prayer closet praying that I'd be like a son of Issachar. Does anyone know who a son of Issachar was in the Bible? Oh, good, I get to teach you today. Aren't you excited? So the sons of Issachar, it's out of 1 Chronicles 12, 32. And it says that the sons of Issachar had understanding of the times and knew what Israel ought to do. Wouldn't that be a good thing to be a son of Issachar? To have understanding of the time you live in and know what to do? Not only do you know, but you know what to do with it. It's like wisdom. Wisdom is applied knowledge. So we want the knowledge, but we want the wisdom to apply it. And that's what the sons of Issachar were in the Old Testament, that they, they, they knew it and they walked it. So we also had Jojo and Autumn Dawson here, and they came, and they gave us a word. And does anyone remember what Jojo released over all of us? Dreams. He told us it was time to dream again, that God had new assignments for us. And Autumn came, and what did she teach us on? This is not that hard. Dreams. <laughs> Saturday afternoon to the ladies, she talked to us about how to interpret those dreams and what to do with those things that God gave us. It's a season of dreaming. God wants us to dream, and he's got amazing things just waiting for us to step into. And it's so exciting, the days that we get to be a part of here. God says that his sheep hear his voice and none other do they follow. That you will know and discern his voice. Isn't that a great promise? Like, I know there's times I go, I don't know if that was God or is that God, is that not God? But when God really speaks to you, you know it. There's no doubting when God speaks a word to your heart, when he makes his word come alive, when in prayer all of a sudden that peace comes on and you just know he's there. There's no doubting God. It's our heritage. We talk a lot about Acts 2 Acts 2 was about that they all would prophesy, that the old men would dream dreams, and we have some dreamers, and that the young men would see visions. And that's the season we are in right now. We are in the last days. God is pouring his spirit out. One of my favorite authors, it's kind of tiny up there, sorry. One of my favorite authors and speakers in the past was Dr. Henry Blackaby. And he comes from the Southern Baptist tradition, so maybe he hasn't crossed your paths, but he is an amazing Bible teacher. And his Bible study, Experiencing God, is the best Bible study, hands down, I have ever done in my life. If I were to point as to what has transformed my life more, it is that Bible study called Experiencing God. And someday I hope to do a city service with it and y'all are invited so you got the plug already but it's such an, a powerful thing but he talks about how we hear God's voice he says God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible prayer circumstances and the church to reveal himself his purposes and his ways most of the time we come to God and we want we want a word about us 
But God's not necessarily coming to talk about us. He's coming to talk about him. Because <laughs> it's not about us. It's about him. It's about his kingdom. And when we get in alignment with him and his ways and his purposes, his plans come out through us and it's all good. Isn't that true? Like we so get our eyes fixed on, I need this for me. But what if we lifted our eyes just a little higher and saw him in the midst of it? Imagine how our situations would turn. This morning we were in prayer and God just kept speaking to us about the name of Jesus. That there was a song and we all know the song, there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. And we go rah, 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 break every chain. But we should go, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus. He's the one doing it. Like he, if we would just look to him and lift him up, imagine what he'd do in this earth realm. Okay, that's an extra bonus sermon for you right there. The key in all of this is not how God speaks to us, but it's that he spoke. It's incredible that God, the God of the universe, the God who created all things, chooses to speak to people like me and people like you. Isn't that incredible? That he loves you so much that he chose to speak to you. Knowing God's voice comes from an intimate love relationship with him. You will not be able to rely on other people's walks with God. You will have to depend on God alone. Your relationship with him is of utmost importance. If you have trouble hearing God speak, you are in trouble at the heart of your Christian experience. We have a God who speaks. We have to take time. That's what this... 21 days in the secret places is about coming and dwelling in his presence, allowing his word to speak to us, allowing him to speak to us in this intimate place of prayer. It's our birthright. It's our heritage. It's what he's given to us. If you're struggling, come to the school of the prophets. And you might say, I'm not a prophet. Prophecy is just learning to hear his voice and speaking out what he's saying. So if you're struggling and hearing his voice, Come, get trained. We're getting trained by someone who, this is her job. She goes around and helps people. She equips people in hearing God's voice. So it is well worth your 45 bucks to come to the School of the Prophets. You won't regret it, I promise you. Whoops, gotta go back one. A man's heart plans his way. Isn't this how we want our way to go? It's the nice, gentle journey up the little hill. We're going to reach the finish line. We're going to wave it a little bit. We're going to rah, rah, rah. We're going to celebrate we got to the end. Isn't that what we all want? But for most of us, doesn't it look more like this? God directs our steps. <laughs> a man may plan his ways, but God directs his steps. Proverbs 16, 9. It's got a whole bunch of hills and valleys. It's got some bumps. It's got some perilous places. It's got some places you just want to like dive off the deep end and not return. But his plan is always to strengthen us, to build us up, to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus. And that's what he's going to do. And uh, Pastor Mike, last week on our podcast, which we still will be doing this week on Tuesday, on um, Facebook Prayer Live Noon on Tuesdays. Um, 
spoke about this, that usually when God speaks, there's this birth of a vision, and we're so excited, and we run with all that we've got in us. And then all of a sudden, God calls and asks us to lay it all aside. There's a death of our dream. And we think it is gone. We think it is deader than a doornail, that it is never returning. It has gone into the great abyss. But just when we think all hope is gone and we've moved on, God brings about a supernatural fulfillment. Because if it was God's vision and if it was his word and his plan, he is going to bring it to pass. He said his word would not return void. And so hold on. Get ready for what God will do. He's just getting you out of the way. And there's nothing more um, apparent about this cycle than the life of Joseph. So I'm going to read to you a little bit from the life of Joseph. And I'll tell you, like um, I, I told Kyle this morning, we just have a short passage of scripture today. It's only 14 chapters. So if you're interested, there are lunches out in the lobby and you can pick it up and we'll come right back in. Just joking, just joking. We are not going to read all 14 chapters today, but I do recommend you take this week and read a chapter or two each day. You can start in Genesis 37, and that's where we're going to start, and I'll just excerpt it for you. But we're going to talk about Joseph's life. Last week, we talked a little bit about Joseph. We talked about Joseph's sons and the blessing that God poured out on Joseph's sons. But today, we're going to talk about Joseph. So I am reading from Genesis 37. You can follow along in your Bible or on the YouVersion app if you want. So it says, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, who is Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. So then Joseph has another dream. He dreamed another dream and he told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Don't you think they were so excited about this? I am sure the brothers were just like, I can't believe this guy's coming to us with another dream. Like, didn't he get the message the first time? We don't want to hear his dreams. But I guess Joseph didn't get that message because he came back to them. Behold, I have dreamed another dream. And behold, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Like 
here comes Snotty Nose Brother. He's gotten us in trouble. He went back to Dad and ratted us out because we weren't doing things the way Dad wanted us to do them out on the pasture fields. And now Snotty Nose Brother is coming to us and saying, I have a dream, and you're going to listen to me, and you're going to bow down to me, and I am, I am just going to be all that in a bag of chips, and you're going to be nothing. Like, can you imagine that? Has anyone ever had anyone like that in their life? Has anyone been that person? <laughs> I can say I was probably considered the snotty-nosed sister. I was the middle child, so there you go. But um, I don't think it was intentional. I just think it happened. Um, <laughs> anyways, God forgive me. My sisters, they lo we love each other today, but boy, do we have stories. So anyways, I'm sure you have stories. If you had siblings, you have stories too. There were moments in every family. So, but in this family, Joseph was the prized son. He was like the precious one. And um, this is like, you want to talk about dysfunctional family? Here we go. The guy had four wives. So he really had two wives and they had each had a slave woman and they each gave their slave woman to their husband to have children because like it was a competition. Who could have more children? Because children equated uh, position and power in that culture. And so it's like they wanted more kids and wanted more kids. And um, Rachel, who was... Yeah, Rachel and Leah. Rachel was Joseph's mom and... For a long time, she couldn't have kids. So Joseph was the first one from Rachel, and Rachel was the one that Jacob really loved. He was his, that was his first love. He had eyes for Rachel, but got tricked and got Leah first. So Leah always felt kind of unloved, and Pastor talked about Leah and Rachel a while back, and you know how that went. But anyways, so this was the child of the favorite wife, and... Um, we only recommend one wife here, just saying. Um, this, this was the child of the favorite wife, and she, um, she then had another son, Benjamin, and when she had Benjamin in childbirth, the mom died. So, like, this was, this was a happy birth. This was a happy child. And, and Jacob loved Joseph more than all the others, and he showed it with this coat. So his brothers already hated him. And then he goes to him and is like, I, look at me, I'm in my robe. I am, I am the one the father loves, you know. And we'll joke, Pam and I will joke back and forth that I'm the one the father loves. And she says, oh no, he loves me more, you know. Like God doesn't have favorites, but he does have intimates. And when we're intimate with him, we all feel like his favorite, right? So you all can be God's favorite today. Um, but in the natural, it's really hard. Like, parents, don't pick a favorite amongst your children. It just makes the competition a lot harder. So um, his pride, his arrogance, leads to a pit. So uh, your boast becomes a prophecy of future failure. The higher you lift yourself up in pride, the harder you'll fall in disgrace. That's Proverbs 16, 18. We know that verse normally as pride goes before destruction, but a haughty spirit before a fall. So I like quoted that one often to my sons growing up. Pride comes before the fall. You better watch out. Pride comes before the fall. But I love how it says it here. Your boast becomes a prophecy of future failure. Be careful what you're boasting in. We're told to boast in the Lord. We're not told to boast in ourselves. 
So I'm continuing reading in verse 12. Now his brothers went to the pasture their flocks, their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to them, are not your brothers pasturing in Shechem? Come and I will send them to you. And he said to him, here I am. And he said to him, go now and see it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem and he found a man wandering in the fields. And the man asked, what are you seeking? And he said, I'm seeking my brothers. Can you tell me where they are? And the man said, they have gone away for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found him. So you got that story. He went one place, they weren't there, he moved on. Then they saw him from afar. So the brothers see him coming. And before he came near, they conspired against him to kill him. That's some pretty serious hatred. Before, when he's just in a distance, they see him and say, we're going to kill him. Here comes the dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And then we will say that a fierce animal devoured him, and we will see what becomes of his dreams. I think that's a little stern. They were making sure that dream did not come to pass. But Reuben, who was the oldest, heard it. And he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. But Reuben said to him, shed no blood. Throw him into the pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. He was thinking he would rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. That's the first thing they did. They took off that thing that made him look different than the rest of them. You aren't anything special. Let's get rid of that robe. And then they took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. We can at least be grateful for that. There wasn't water in the pit. (laughs) But still, can you imagine it? Here's this guy just doing what his dad asked. He gets his cloak taken off, his special gift from his dad. He gets thrown in this pit. And then what do the brothers do? Then they sat down to eat. I I don't think they were that concerned about Joseph at that moment. He's in the pit. We're going to go back to what we want to do. He can stay there as long as he wants. Do you ever feel that way? I I, I can remember that like um, I might have heard a mother say at one point, um, you can just stay there until I calm down. (laughs) You know, did you ever have a mother that said that? Or were you ever that mother um, who just said, go to your room. Don't come out until I tell you. So they've thrown him in the pit and are saying, you're not coming out. You're staying there, you know. Anyways, they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah, who was full of a bright idea, said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. Oh, wasn't that kind of him? Let's not kill him, but let's sell him into slavery. Does that sound better to you? Like, I don't think that sounds real good. I think that option is pretty terrible myself. I think that might be worse than killing him. But his brothers listened to him. So then the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. And when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in it, he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? And then they took Joseph's robe 
and they slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it's your son's robe or not. And Jacob identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him and Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his garments, put on sackcloth on his loins and mourned his son for many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I will go down to Sheol. I'll go to my grave, to my son in mourning. Thus the father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. The chosen one, the precious son, is now a slave. He's gone from the height of his father's harem to the lowest place as a slave. The powerful went to the powerless. The precious one became the vile. In Psalm 105, 17 and 19, it says, he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. I think that's a pretty severe testing. And sometimes in our life, until the word comes to pass, the word of the Lord tests us. Don't you think? Have anyone been through a testing? <laughs> and that testing is to produce godly fruit in our life. It's to produce the character of Christ in our life. Because character is more important than gifting. Joseph had a gift. He was ruling over his brothers. He had a leadership gift. His dad recognized it. His brothers didn't want to see it. But he had a gift. He thought he was all that in a bag of chips. And in his pride, he got sent to a pit. But God wanted to develop some character in his life in those pits. The Bible talks to us about the gift and the call being without repentance. It's a gift. If it's a gift, it's a gift. That call, when it comes to you, God spoke not only to believers. He spoke to evil kings. He spoke to others throughout the Bible. So just having the dream or having a call was just a, a gift from God. But the character to know what to do it, with it. Many are called, but few are chosen. I pray that when we go through our situations, that we allow God to form that character within us. Your gift will make a way for you, but it's your character that keeps you. I've heard Pastor Mike say that many a times. And I was thinking of it this week, and I thought like, you know, we were talking about open doors. There's these huge open doors in Vegas, and Dan and Jen have been faithful to the Lord. These other pastors have been faithful to the Lord in Vegas, sowing seed and seeking God and praying and going after the heart of God for this place. And it's the character that's been formed in these last few years that allowed them not only to walk through the door, which is the call, but to occupy the space. Occupying the space takes character. Your character will keep you and allow you to occupy the place that God has opened up for you. But if you don't have any character, then it doesn't matter what doors God opens for you because you're going to walk through and fall flat on your face. I'm reading again from Henry Blackaby. And uh, it's when God speaks to you through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, the church, or any other way, he has a purpose in mind for your life. 
The moment God speaks to you is God's timing. He speaks to his servants when he is ready to move. (laughs) He doesn't speak on our timetable all the way, although I would love that. Wouldn't you love that? Okay, God, this is my list. Could you please answer these five questions because I need to know today. And he'll go, "Mm, how about two years from now? I'll answer that one. So, or 20 years. I, I one time had a friend share a tape with me, and I was like, I was seeing God's promise unfold. I'd had a dream. I really, like an actual dream, and I thought, my ministry is going to take off. I am, you know, like going to the nations. It's time. It's time. I was on fire with this dream. This is probably in 2000, 2001. And a dear saint handed me this Marilyn Hickey cassette tape, and on it, Marilyn Hickey said, so what if you're 90 when your dream comes to pass? And I'm like, 90? No, I'm 29 now. I want to run. I want to run. I've got energy. I've got grace. I don't want to wait till I'm 90. And over and over, I would listen to that cassette tape. So what if you're 90 when God calls you? So what if you're 90 when God opens wide that door and you walk through? So what? And I thought, oh my, I can't handle that. But I can tell you the call on my life has been 30 years in coming. And I'm grateful. I wasn't ready to walk through it when he called me at 17. (laughs) Y'all would have had a much different sermon if this was back when I was 17. So anyways, the moment God speaks to you is God's timing. He speaks to his servant when he is ready. And when God speaks to you, you need to believe and obey. At 17, I believed and obeyed. At 29, I believed and obeyed the dream. But get this, do not assume, however, that the moment God calls you, you are prepared for the assignment. Ouch. Just because you have a call doesn't mean you're ready. (laughs) God's got a preparation for you to fulfill that assignment. God will develop your character to match your assignment. This is your quote on your fill in the blanks. Nothing is more pathetic than having a small character when you have a big assignment. I'm going to read that again because that just blew me away. Nothing is more pathetic than having a small character when you have a big assignment. If you are not willing to be faithful in little, God will not give you larger assignments. God uses the smaller assignments to develop character. God always builds character to match his assignment. If God has a great task for you, he will expand your character to match that assignment. That's so powerful if you think about it. We are all in a journey. Corporately, God's releasing dreams. Personally, God's releasing dreams. And we need that character built within us to stand and occupy the spaces he's given us. We need the big character to match the big dreams. God doesn't have a small dream for City Point Church. I mean, like he's called us to this region. He's called us to touch nations. He's called us to be a presence-driven church. What a unique call. You, you know, the video or the slide that was up, I think, last week about it was it's been five years since we changed the sign, that the point is changing the city. <laughs> the point isn't just coming and having a good worship service. The point is to change the city. We are to be those houses of prayer that he keeps speaking to us. And until we get it, he's going to continue growing that character within us. I love this. God's so good. Did I go forward? No. Let me try it again. Woohoo! 
Most of us fail because we trade what we need most for what we want now. You saw that in the lotto lines this week. People were giving all their grocery money to buy lotto tickets with the hope of winning billions. But then they're going starving. How much do we trade what we want now for what's best? And we need to get a, the vision of, so what if you're 90? So what if it takes five years to get this? We're going on this journey with God. Early on, I'm going to talk about Pam again. Pam and I used to attend some leadership conferences. We would go down one Wednesday a month, I think it was, to Lafayette, and we'd sit in an hour-long meeting learning about leadership. And one of the things that that pastor would share almost every month was that you need to pray as much for the fruit of the Spirit to be developed in your life as you pray for the gifts of the Spirit. And as charismatic people, we love the gifts. We love to flow in signs and wonders. We love to operate in that. But even more than that, we need to operate in the fruit of the Spirit. Our greatest defense against the enemy isn't railing against him. It's having a good offensive strategy. And our offensive strategy is to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. It's to walk in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Imagine if we were walking that out all the time. If we were walking in the fruit of the Spirit, that when those attacks come against us, instead of railing on the person, we would have a kind word. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Imagine that if we walked in gentleness. Imagine if we walked in self-control when we really want to chew someone out, we just shut our mouth. <laughs> Imagine how that would save us so much if we just walked in the fruit of the Spirit. So I want to encourage you. Yes, God has a ministry for you. And yes, God has gifts for you. And he has a call for you. But pray for the fruit of God to be manifest in your life. Pray this week that God would raise up those Galatians 5, 22 and 23 gifts. The, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in your life. Because you know what? It, at the end of those verses in Galatians, it says, against such things, there is no law. You can't go wrong walking in the fruit of the Spirit, ever. You can't go wrong. There's a lot of things that there are laws against, but that is not. All right, speeding up. God's favor leads you to your future. So we see this in his life. So you can read these scriptures on your own. But in Potiphar's house, he gets to Potiphar's house. He's a slave. And all of a sudden, Potiphar sees like he has incredible favor on his life. Whatever I give him to do, it prospers. So he gives him more and he puts him in charge, second in command in Potiphar's house. And it wasn't until Potiphar's wife thought that she wanted to have some kind of interaction with him that was inappropriate. And he walked in integrity and said, I will not sin against my master. That's how he got thrown into to prison, was because he walked in integrity. He walked in truthfulness and honesty and love towards his master. So then he's sent to prison. And in prison, all of a sudden, they find God's favor again is on him. Here he's in the worst place of his life, fetters and chains, you know? Horrible prison. I don't think prison was pleasant. I don't think prison is pleasant today, but I really don't think prison was pleasant there. But God gave him favor, and he was put in charge of, of others. He, everything that he was in charge of, even the, the prison guards didn't care about because they knew it would be taken care of, and everything was good. Can you imagine that? Like just saying, oh, 
that's on Joseph's watch. We don't even have to look that. That's all going to be good. Joseph's got it. He's good. Prisoner in C block three is good. We, we know he's got it. We don't even have to go there because everything's taken care of. Like, no, that's crazy favor that Joseph walked in even in prison. So much so that all of a sudden he was in the king's prison because Potiphar was a high official. So he's hobnobbing in prison with people who'd served the king. And um, the cupbearer of the king and the baker of the king were in prison. They both had a dream one night and no one could interpret it. So they come to Joseph and Joseph says, I believe God can interpret dreams. And so he gives an interpretation. And to the cupbearer, he says, in three days, you're going to get promoted back and you're going to have a cup in your hand again, serving the king. And to the baker, he, the baker was excited with this dream. So then he said to him, like, here's my dream. Tell me what it means. Because he was super excited. I had these three baskets on my head and these birds were eaten out of the baskets. Give me my good word. And Joseph says, well, in three days, the three baskets, um, you're going to get hung. And yeah, the birds are going to eat your head. So, three days later, the cupbearer is promoted back to before the king, and the baker is hung. And the word came to pass. And all Joseph said when he gave the word was, hey, when you get out of here, cupbearer, remember me. Two years go by. Two years. He's sitting there going, that guy didn't remember a thing I said. That guy, why didn't he remember? Like, I told him that dream, and all I asked was one simple task, and he couldn't do it. So anyways, two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. And in his dream, there's these, fe- these seven beautiful fat cows. And they look amazing. And all of a sudden, these seven scrawny, ugly cows come. And the ugly cows eat the fat cows. And they look emaciated. And, and the Bible calls them ugly. And then he has another dream. And in that dream, there's these seven heads of grain. And they look amazing and bountiful grain. And then there's these seven really scrawny, yucky-looking things, like probably what we're seeing left in the cornfields right now. And those yucky little scrawny things come and eat the big grains. And he, no one can tell him. All his magicians, all his special men couldn't tell him what these dreams meant. And the cupbearer said, you know what? There's this guy in prison, and he told me what my dream meant. I think he can tell you. So he calls, they call up Joseph. Joseph comes, and Joseph says, because they say, can you interpret dreams? And he says, my God can And so he just gives him the interpretation that both dreams are the same. They're one in the same. You're going to have seven years of plenty, and then you're going to have seven years of famine. And God's just telling you so you can prepare. And and Joseph humbly says, if I was you, I'd set someone in charge, and I'd get things in order. I'd collect all the grain. I'd make storehouses. I'd do this so that in the seven years of famine, you've got food for all your people. The king goes, that's a great idea. And listen to what he said. He's like, can we find such a one as this man in whom the spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine, I lost the word there, and put a gold chain around his neck. He clothed him in fine garments and put a chain around his neck. He made him like the prime minister. So he goes from being a prisoner to the second in command. If you had the signet ring, you could do anything in the name of the king. Like we have the name of Jesus. We can do anything in his name. 
Isn't that powerful? We have the favor of God. Joseph had the favor of God. He had the ring. So if he wanted an edict, he had the edict written up. He pressed the seal into the wax. It was done. It would go out. Over all of Egypt, he was second in command. The only person more powerful to him was Pharaoh. That's incredible, the favor. And God leads them. And so all of a sudden, they have the seven years of plenty. They create the storehouses. In year two of the famine, all of a sudden, people are getting hungry, but they realize that there is food in Egypt, including his brothers who are in Canaan. They're starving. They're dying. They're wanting food, and they realize there's food somewhere, and we have to go get it. So his friends, his brothers decide to take a trip down to Egypt. And in Egypt, when they get there, Joseph's faced with a choice. Joseph doesn't look like the Joseph they remembered. He's not wearing his coat anymore. He's got on the makeup of the Egyptians. He looks like them. He talks like them. He speaks their language. His brothers had no idea. But Joseph had a choice in that moment who he was going to be. And this was like over 20 years later from the time Joseph had the dream when he was 17. He's in his 30s, his late 30s at this point. And um, offense had to go. He couldn't have offense in his heart and forgiveness had to flow. We, last week, the only reason that Joseph's sons could get the blessing that they received from their grandfather we, was because Joseph had already walked in it. You know the crossover blessing that Pastor Mike talked about? Forgiveness of Manasseh and the double blessing of Ephraim. That offense had to go so that the forgiveness could flow and the bountifulness of God could be seen. And when you can read more about this in chapters 42 and 43, but when the brothers came, they came twice. The first time they came, they left Benjamin at home because the dad said, uh-uh. My favorite wife was Rachel. You're not taking both sons. Both sons aren't going to go. Benjamin is not going. I can't stand to lose him. So Benjamin stayed home. The other brothers went. And when they appeared before, before um, Joseph, it wasn't in pride or arrogance that Joseph saw them. It was actually with tears. In 42, it says that... The brothers said to themselves, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, did I not speak to you, saying, do not sin against the boy, but you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is required of us now. For they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke through an interpreter. And he turned himself away from them, and he wept. So Joseph is seeing his brothers as they're in this place. One brother has to stay behind as they take grain back to the family. And the brothers are saying, this is because of us. What we did to our brother, this is being required of us. We shouldn't have done this. We shouldn't have done this. They're repenting amongst themselves. Joseph turns away and weeps. He doesn't say, aha, I told you you're going to come and bow down before me. He doesn't. He made, Joseph makes them come back and bring Benjamin with them. They said, next time you need grain, if you don't bring your brother with us, you're not coming. So they knew. They went home. They ate the grain. The grain is gone. They're starving again. And they have to convince Jacob to let Benjamin go. And I think it's powerful that um, they, they take this time 
that Judah, the one who was quick to want to kill and sell off the brother, is the one who stood up and said he would be surety. He would be a bond for his brother. He told his dad, if Benjamin doesn't come back, it's on me. Where he willingly gave up Joseph, Judah now is standing in the place of intercession for his brother, saying, if he doesn't come back, it's on me. It's on me, dad. And so they go back to Egypt, and in that time, through a series of steps, they're back with Joseph again. Joseph creates this dinner for them, and then Joseph has all of um, the servants leave the room, and he reveals who he is to his brothers. And it wasn't with the, I told you so. They have all come, they have all bowed down before him, as the prime minister, the second in command. But it wasn't in an I told you so. It was with tears and weeping and wailing that even the Egyptians who were out in the hall heard. He revealed himself to his brothers. I think it's incredible to see the transformation that happened when he walked in forgiveness and let the offenses go. It wasn't just about Joseph's dream. It wasn't just about Pharaoh's dream. It was about God's dream. Joseph's dream wouldn't have come to pass without Pharaoh's dream. Some of you, your dreams aren't gonna come to pass until you get connected with a greater vision. My dream didn't come to pass until I got connected where I needed to get connected. There is something you are all called as part of this house. So if God has placed a call on your life, part of that call will only be fulfilled in connection with here. I look at what Vince and Letitia are doing with Not Your Shame, and they've been going out for years. But God had a purpose for their ministry right here, right now. And in this season, God is busting open doors for them. And we're running through them. And some of you, some of you are finding your call as you run alongside with them, but it's part of a greater vision. When Pastor Mike comes back and reveals whatever God has to say, <laughs> it's gonna be incredible how we can see our dreams line up with the dreams of this house because they're lining up with God's dream. God had a greater dream over all of this than even what Pharaoh's dream was or Joseph's dream. It had nothing to do with theirs. It had all to do with God's dream coming forth. God had a dream for Abraham. This was the great-grandfather of Joseph, and his dream was get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This was God's vision. God's vision was a nation. It wasn't a family. It was a nation. A nation. God's dream is to preserve his posterity with provision. And we see this played out in the life of Joseph. Had Joseph not been thrown into a pit, had he not had a dream, 
been immature, getting thrown in a pit, gone to Potiphar's house, gone to prison, gone to the palace, all of a sudden provided for all the Egyptians, God's plan would not have come out. In Genesis 45.5, it says, But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me to preserve life. That's what Joseph said to his brothers when, when they were like, oh my, we're so sorry for what we did when Joseph revealed who he was. He said, God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. A few weeks ago, Pastor Mike talked about posterity. Anyone remember that? Out of Deuteronomy 6, he talked about posterity. He said that the posterity deals with, back one, uh, the posterity deals with all future generations of people. That's what the word posterity means. It's what you leave behind in your son's and your son's sons. It's your seed. What are you sowing into the lives of that next generation? It's your seed. There's a blessing right now on what you sow into the lives of other people. You're sowing with your character. You're sowing through those generations, whether they're, they're biological or whether they're spiritual children. You're sowing. What are you sowing into their life? What is the posterity that you're leaving for them? Um, leave something in your children, not just for your children. Oh, isn't that good? That was Pastor Mike. I can't take credit for that quote. And he also had this quote. I went back to his sermon. I forget when it was, but it was um, the Lift series. If you want to look it up, listen again to the Lift series. So set your heart towards posterity, and God will make sure you have prosperity. It's time to leave a legacy. We don't need to get our vision on the stuff here. We need to get our vision on what really is important. Sow the seed into the people and the people will run with it. Write a vision and make it plain that those who come after you will run with it. This isn't about just us. We're setting a course and a trajectory that will go until Jesus returns. That's the seed we're sowing. I, I think back to when I was young and... Um, my greatest inheritance was never money, cars, homes, China. My grandma recently died. I got a whole bunch of stuff, like stuff. I have a lamp, I have some China, I have a crystal little bowl, and, and those things are special to me, but that's not the inheritance I hold on to. It's the legacy of faith that my grandma had. She lost her mom when she was two. Her dad left her pretty much with her grandparents. But she didn't give up on God. Her dad was a minister of the gospel, and he didn't have time, because he was a minister, to come get her out on the farm. When she was 13, she got reunited with him, and she stepped back into this church. She didn't say, I don't want anything from your God. But she embraced this God, and her life transformed. She had a hard life. She lost two husbands early in life. And... Um, she had a hard battle. Her journey looked a lot like this, but she never gave up on God. And until the end, she was singing with her beautiful alto voice in the choir. That's the legacy, a legacy of faith. I think of when I was a young married, and I was in my early 20s, and we had this couple in our church, and they were in their 80s. And we went to their trailer, and we sat down at their table, and we shared a meal. And they told us stories of how they met. They told us about when they came to know the Lord and how God transformed their life in a tent meeting. And they talked about how God moved. And that precious time with those 80-year-old people was incredible. 
I thought about the lady who sat me on her couch when I was a teenager and what are you doing with your, what did you do this weekend? Well, and she said, I went shopping for a new couch. Do you like my new couch? And I said, oh, it's beautiful. She's like, let me tell you the story. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know which couch I wanted. So I just sat and I prayed about my couch. I'd never thought about praying about a couch before. I didn't care to pray about a couch, but it planted a seed in me that in all things we can pray and in all things we can give thanks. We are a multi-generational church and it's a blessing. We have amazing mothers and fathers in this house. And I wanna encourage you, no matter what age you are, connect with someone who's not your age. Connect older, connect younger, sit and have a cup of coffee. If you're young, when I was your age, I remember um, I sat in the back. My friends and I sat in the back of the church. I love that you sit up front. We sat in the back, different reasons. So the old people would sit in the back too. So they sat in the back for health reasons. We sat in the back for different reasons. And, um, but we got to know them and they were friendly. And every week, Mrs. Barron's uh, would always talk to me. And I was 17 and Mrs. Barron's invited me and her friend Juanita, who was in her 80s as well, to dinner one night. And she made this lovely spread of food. These were two widow ladies. I didn't even know you could make mayonnaise yourself, but I learned she made homemade mayonnaise. And she told me stories about war. She told me stories about faith. She told me how God was so precious to her and someday she would go to heaven and be with him. They shared their very life with me. That was a precious time. So whatever age you are, take time to sow into others. It might seem like nothing to you. It might seem like, why am I mixing up the mayonnaise? Why am I sharing this cup of coffee? But God wants to impart something to you that's so precious. So don't miss that opportunity to learn from one another. And not only was it posterity, the seed, but there was also provision. Joseph said to them in Genesis 50, 19, and this is after... This is after the dad had died. Now the brothers are nervous again, like what's gonna happen? Is he gonna be mad at us again? And he says, oh no, don't be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is today, to save many people. Now therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones and Joseph comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Isn't that incredible? 70 people came out of Canaan down to Egypt. 70 people could get picked off really quick by all the surrounding nations. But God brought them to Egypt to build them as a nation, to build them as a people, to provide for them so that they could grow strong. They were constantly searching for pasture when they were in Canaan. When they came down to Egypt, they were given pasture lands. They were given the best of the lands by Joseph, and they could flourish. They went from 70 people to over 2 million people when God called them out. God had promised Abraham and had promised them that, uh, promised, um, Jacob, that they would return to the land and to not be afraid to go, that they would come back. And God's doing the same thing today. He's raising up a remnant of people. He's raising up a posterity. The word posterity means remnant. That's what it means. If you go back to that verse where it was God was raising up a posterity, he was raising up a remnant. And he's doing the same thing today amongst those that will be about his kingdom We'll have his heart, his dream. We will be faithful to his word and we'll obey it. We'll receive it with gladness. 
Here, we're going to be a presence-driven church, and we're going to follow the cloud. When they came out of Egypt to go back in and possess the land, they were led by the presence of God. They followed the cloud. By day and night, they were led by the cloud until they went back in to cross over. They heard the whisper of God's voice, and he led them, and he instructed them. Whatever pits you're going through, God's leading those things to get you ready to cross over. You're going to cross over and walk in that crossover anointing. It's coming. It's coming. But your destiny is linked to his destiny. It's about his remnant rising. It's about getting in position with what he wants to do. It's about God's vision. We must have God's vision. We must have God's vision. We need to see a little higher. I can get caught up in what I want to see come to pass or even what I want to see come to pass here, but there is such a greater vision. God had said that this gospel will be preached to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. It's about the gospel. It's about the kingdom. It's about God's word going to the ends of the earth. And we have this sliver called Northwest Indiana that God has said, cross over and take the land. But we have to be faithful. Jen and Dan have this sliver called Las Vegas. And they're being faithful, and they're partnering together. They're linking arms. It's time we link arms. Your vision isn't going to come to pass by yourself. My vision isn't going to come to pass by myself. But as we come together and have the one dream, the God dream, and we see the overarching purpose of God, God's going to bring it to pass. We each have a part to play, and each one of you is important. Each one of you is vital. Each one of you, God wants to speak and lead. And we need to hear it, and we need to know it. On the back, there's forms. If God speaks something to you, we want to pray into it because we believe God is going to speak. And he's going to speak things to you individually as couples. Maybe God's speaking to you to draw closer together in families and to build your family and to get that in order, to let the character of Christ, that fruit of the Spirit, be seen more. That those that see you in the marketplace, that those see you in your job, will see the love of Jesus. They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. We need to be about his kingdom. We need to fulfill his call. We need to do it in humility, not pride, not arrogance. We're dependent. We're interdependent. We're multi-generational. Thank you for listening to the City Point Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at citypoint.tv or our Facebook page, City Point Church.